I mean, there's been key points that relationships have moved me to the right position. I can think of three really big times when people helped me get into the right position, and it was really not to their benefit. But it, it is, it's an important part of a career. That was Amy Myers, and this is Guild Stories. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Welcome back to Guild Stories. Today, Amy Myers, CMO at NFM. And for those of you who, who don't know, um, that is- Good a, job with those, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> good. good. Uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Nebraska Furniture Mart is the expanded version. So um, Amy, without further ado, thanks so much for joining us on Guild Stories. Thank you. I'm so impressed with your ability to get those letters right. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's pretty hard not to with uh, such a talented marketing group um, that you've you've built and led and, and certainly um, can't wait to hear all about that. So for those who, who maybe don't know you or of you, give us a yeah quick intro. Tell us about yourself, Amy. Sure. Um, well, like you said, Amy Myers, Nebraska Furniture Mart, and we are a regional home furnishing store, but we're kind of known for having the the biggest home furniture store in the United States. So we have big format um, stores, um, retail stores, and of course, online. And I've been here about a little over two years. Yes, I started in 2019 and um, that really, I, I came originally from, we're in Omaha, we're Omaha based right now. I started, um, Having, I ended up in Omaha w- with Gordon, which was also kind of a local retailer, and um, ended up ended up at the Best Furniture Mart. So got really lucky. That's awesome. I think yeah, for sure, folks in the Midwest know of y'all, and, and I imagine even um, I, I love. I, I've got a million questions about your work for sure. Um, kind of wind us back though, if you don't mind. I mean, where where did you grow up? What what did you know, early childhood or what kind of the formative years look like for you? I grew up in Indiana, actually. So okay. still Midwest, but um, Indianapolis, Indiana, and went to Indiana University, which, you know, a lot of people do in the area. It's kind of a Purdue or Indiana yep. area. Um, ended up in the business school. So I was at the Kelly School of Business with, for business economics. And after that, I actually went and was an investigator for child protection services for a couple of years, um, which was super interesting and very different, you know, from my business side career path. And after a couple of years, I studied for my GMAT and ended up going to um, get my master's in Indiana in economics. And then that's really where I shifted to marketing and went to Chicago and I started with a catalog company and, um, because my career went from there. That's awesome. I, uh, the the child protective investigator. I did not know that about your background. I can't. I, I imagine that was that's uh, like a that's like a <laughs> trivia that people do not know about me. I don't always talk about it. It was just yeah, kind of in between um, 
you know, I, I got out of undergraduate and I just wasn't quite sure. And it yeah. was, it was a year that, um, jobs were kind of tight and I saw that and, um, and, and I ended up applying and getting it. So, I mean, I was going to people's homes wow. investigating, um, complaints of child abuse and, wow. um, it was, it was actually, most of those people are social workers and I was not, obviously I had a business background, but what was interesting is I ended up being really good at it, but I was good at it because I approached it more business. Mm. Like I had reports that they had never done and I, I was very sort of methodical and how I analyzed it. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this, my business skills are what's making me good at this, not my social work skills. So, you know, going back for my master's and then moving over was kind of gave me the kickoff. Yeah, no, that's great. That That's a wonderful anecdote. Yeah. And I, I can imagine there were lots of, um, yeah, learnings, especially as you, as, as you transition more into your, to your business arc in, in your story. Um, so you jumped into, in, in, you said into, in a firm in Chicago or a group in Chicago. I did. Yeah. So I ended up starting in marketing. I was a statistical analyst actually, which is, Oh man really an unusual, there's not a lot of CMOs that come from the analytical side of the business. You know, most CMOs either come from the creative side, like art directors, creative directors, or the brand side, like very heavy into um, maybe CPG kind of brand building. A little bit more, you'll hear people nowadays coming that they started on e-commerce. But yeah, I started actually just as a hardcore like marketing analyst, which is just not the normal path. Um, but I think it's ended up being a benefit, like a strength of mine, um, in, in different marketing roles. Yeah, of course. Cause I mean, for, it's that age old question of like, man, does this work? (laughs) Does this work? And and I imagine through your lens, you, you, you have answers to those questions, uh, and you've built them uh, among kind of throughout the career, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the funny thing is I, so I started as a marketing analyst and we were, it was just kind of that typical looking at the marketing database, the customer database, trying to understand performance. People would come with business questions and, you know, I would answer, you know, look at the data, kind of analyze it and answer, answer them. And there was a whole group of us and I got promoted really quickly and really regularly, but. I was actually the worst statistician on the team by a pretty big, long, pretty big big margin. I was not the best statistician, but Mm. you know, what I realized that, you know, you have to like self-reflection, like, you know, understanding of what was going on. And what I was good at was understanding how to connect the data with what the business was trying to answer. Like I could, actually figure out the answer where a lot of the statisticians were so technical and so caught in the analysis mm. that the business never understood what they were saying. And so it, it, uh, what, what made me get promoted quickly was just my communication skills and my ability to kind of see the, the connections and make sure people understood them because you know, the data doesn't mean anything if, if no one understands what to do with it. So yeah. that kind of, you know, insight is, is, and, and my insight into myself, because I, you know, I think one of the things I did well there is I didn't look at those promotions like, well, that must mean I'm the best statistician. <laughs> I knew I was. <laughs> I had to figure out, like, what, why is this working for me? Um, and, you know, use that. 
Sure. And, and it is, it's such a, a different context for me, but my mind went to, um, during my, my chief's days, we, uh, on, on the partnership development group, we had, uh, d- just a wonderful backend financial services team that was, was in-house. Um, but there were a, a few analysts in that group who I, I'd get stuff from them. I said, okay, cool. Like, break this down for me. What does this, what does this mean? What does this say? And and there's, uh, I think this really kind of beautiful trust that gets built between, um, when, when someone with that depth of the, the, the economic mind can communicate to the, either the creative or the brand building, right? Like, I, I think there's a, a really cool, um, balance that, that it sounds like you struck and, and obviously, leaders saw that and promoted you up through because that's a that's a very tough skill to um not only teach but to to be great at right it is that that being able to get it to where people understand what you're talking about um it's not enough that you understand this like if this this person's making the decision if they don't get it, it none of your work matters yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, I'm just curious myself around your journey. So you, you kind of rise up through the ranks in Chicago, you end up, um, help me connect the dots. How'd you, how'd you meander your way to Omaha? You know, so I, yeah, so I was at a catalog company, which is very much the sort of the original direct to consumer, you know, no stores all mm. online. Um, and this was a time when there were more phones too. So at some point I realized I kind of needed to get out of the, just the research side, which is what I was doing. Um, and you've got to, you know, I had to move over to more of the operational side of the business so that you're, you're running the business. So um, I moved to what for a catalog company is in the circulation area um, and was lucky enough to, it was a time when the business was going through a rough time. So a lot of people were leaving. Nobody wanted this, position that it opened up. And so I was sort of the last man standing, I think, and, um, got to I doubt, I move doubt over that. and, and it, no, yeah. it really is true. It's like one of those moments that you get kind of lucky, but, um, everybody else knows what they don't want about it. And I was able to, you know, to, to get over there and, and start doing the operations mm-hmm. side, which, you know, that's all about, you know, getting things done, meeting deadlines, you know, pace. We were doing at least one catalog a week, if not two. A week? Holy um, smokes. Yeah, a week. So it's, it's very, with millions and millions of customers. So, you know, that's Holy the kind smokes. of operational side of the business. But I ended up getting recruited by Kraft Foods. Uh, I had been there at my, that company about eight years, and Kraft Foods was starting a, a magazine, like a direct-to-consumer magazine which for them, of course, is totally different. They normally sell just to grocery stores sure. and to um, the, the, the whole idea for them of this magazine was they wanted to go directly to their, their customers and put all their brands together. And it was Food and Family Magazine and send it to their customers and be able to give, you know, it was the beginning of kind of sending recipes and, and assembly, food assembly and, you know, these different ideas for cooking and providing for your family. And so I moved over there to help them understand how to measure it mm. and how to see what's the impact on their customers. Cause they hadn't done it that way before. Um, and then lucky for me, Kraft Foods is one of the best companies in the world in market research and consumer insights and surveys and focus groups and ethnographies. So it was a really great balance for me to start to 
get that consumer side of the business and, you know, how to, those, those insights that are more um, survey or focused with for, you know, meeting with a customer. And um, it was a really great company and really great time for me. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I just, we had a little bit of exposure to the team at Kraft um, through a relationship with Hy-Vee, you know, another local or regional yeah. kind of grocery chain. And, and I was always impressed. I mean, Kraft would, that team would always have, um, and, and the way we, the, the way we talk about it here at Guild is, um, you know, speaking in, in a language that the end user will resonate with, not just yep. that is, is brand focused. Um, and, and that's one thing to like, have a hunch on that, right? <laughs> or to or to try to assume what the customer might might want. It's an entirely different thing and better thing to have the data that supports. No, no, no. Like this is what they want to hear. This is what they act like. This is what they. This is how they purchase. This is what they uh, think about. This is what they're afraid of, right? Like to have that data is from a marketing standpoint just it's gold. It really is. It is, and having it and understanding how to let it influence what you do because mm. you're right. It's so easy to kind of have your own opinions, but to say, no, no, this is, this is what your customer's thinking and this is how she views this and this is what's important. Um, yeah, it was a really, and they are so good at that. Mm-hmm. It, it was outstanding training. That's wonderful. Sure. That's wonderful. Um, okay. So thank you. It's helpful to have context and, and a little bit of the, the background of, of the arc of your career story. So, um, 2019, you are named as the CMO of NFM. Um, and I, I think you'd have to literally be like hiding under a rock to not know what that brand is, <laughs> at least in like a, a 12 state area. That's what I uh, think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, li- literally you'd have to be asleep. Um, so what was intriguing as you contemplated and went through that process? Like uh, what, what was intriguing about a, the opportunity, and then B, kind of the, the the work you got to get going with, you know, first 60, 90, 120 days. You know, I had, I actually, it, it took me two times to get the role. I actually had gone through, um, you know, and I, and I just think that's always good for people to know because if there's a bit of tenacity there and, you know, if you, you know, feel like something's like a good role for you, but mm-hmm. the, the job had opened up. And I applied for it and felt like I was, you know, the perfect fit because I had had, you know, home furnishings background and I had had, um, you know, one of the positionings of NFM is around having the best price. So it doesn't matter if it's a $10,000 sofa or a $300 sofa, you're going to find the best price mm. when you come for either one of those because mm. of, you know, making sure we have, you know, we, we keep our margins down. It's more low cost um, back end. And that's, that's really important part of it. And I had had experience in that kind of everyday um, best price, you know, model. Um, and I, and I didn't get a call back, you know, and I, I could, you know, could see that someone had looked at my LinkedIn and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not what they're looking for. So I ended up um, taking a role actually as a, as a CMO for a furniture manufacturer high end, which was um, a good couple of years. But then I would say, 15, 18 months later, someone from the company sent me a text message and said, Hey, the, the CMO position is open. You know, you should apply for it. Mm. And I sent a message back and I'm like, ah, I, you know, I applied when it was open before. 
I clearly, whatever they're looking for, I don't have. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what the direction is, but you know, they weren't interested in talking to me. And, um, the person kind of texted me back and said, I think it may be, they may be looking for something different this time. Um, so I reached out and, um, you know, ended up talking to Megan, who's our head of HR. And it was, you know, pretty, pretty great fit from there on. But, mm. you know, it was just a, the idea of, I, I knew this was a company I wanted to work for and the relationships I had maintained that someone who was there was willing to reach out and say, Hey, you know, I'd love to have you come work here. Um, which is something I, you know, it was, it was, it was really neat to have that connection. Um, but it's really just a, it's a Berkshire Hathaway company started with a family business. I mean, um, the story is just amazing. Rose Blumkin was a Russian immigrant when she started the company in, in her husband's pawn shop basement. And, you know, she, she built this out of nothing. And it's, it's now there's a fourth generation in the company um, still founded on the very same principles. We still talk about what was important to her and what she did that made the business successful. Um, and it was just something I really wanted to be part of. I did not know the, or, I mean, I knew, I knew the Berkshire Hathaway piece. I did not know the origin story that literally it was started in the basement of a, of her husband's pawn shop. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah she had, I mean, she was a, a, an immigrant from my understanding. Actually, a lot of people in the company knew her. Um, I, I, I didn't, she, she was, passed away when I started, but, uh, yeah, she started it and, and just bought furniture and, you know, always gave the best price and just started building and building from there. And it started in Omaha and, you know, at some point Warren Buffett who lived in, in Omaha, you know, had shopped there and came and said, if you ever want to sell the business, um, come talk to me. And at some point, you know, later she was ready and it was, you know, kind of, famously a handshake deal and you know, no audit. He trusted her and trusted, you know, the business she had built and, you know, still a Berkshire Hathaway company today. Amazing. But yeah. She's, um, she's, she's definitely her personality and her business sense. Um, it's still part of the company today. That's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. Um, so you, you show tenacity, you have, built and, and maintained strong relationships to have that door open, which there's, there's so many, That's, yeah. we, we, we have this, we have this, uh, super talented guy leaving our team and I'm like heartbroken about it. Um, and he's got a wonderful opportunity in his hometown. It's like, it's a perfect fit for him. Yeah. A and, and it's like the, the short sighted, you know, ego part of me wants to like fight and scream and get mad and sad and like, you know, <laughs> double his salary and do the whole thing. Um, the, 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 the older part of me is like, man, there's probably like, we're probably going to work together again somewhere down the line. Like right. it's just, yeah. it's just interesting how, um, deeply into, in, in entwined, intertwined relationships are, uh, especially when, when you, you take the time to develop them and care for them. So anyway, side, side tangent, but I, as you, that's, but a, it is important. I think it's, 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 for me, it's been an important part of my career. I mean, there's been key points that relationships have moved me to the right position. Um, and, 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 and a lot of, I mean, I would say all, I can think of three really big times when people helped me get into the right position. And it was really not to their mm -hmm. benefit. You know what I mean? It wasn't mm. like they were hiring me. It was just making connections and um, being able to being having that relationship and someone's willing to do that for you. 
you know, to just reach out and make that connection. So it, it is, it's an important part of a career. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Thanks for sharing. So you, you feel, I mean, that's a, by all accounts, like a big gig. You walk into, I'm sure, fairly high um, expectations. There's lots of, I can't even imagine the uh, the volume at which like things are coming at you uh, in, in that in that seat, um, but how did you? I, I'm just curious, like mindset wise, how did you approach the the entry point of, of your your new job? Right, like it, it, you 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 open up the proverbial laptop and you have a new email address. Like, what do you do? <laughs> what did you do? That's a really interesting question. I I, I actually I, I like that. And you know, the funny thing is the first few days I was like surprised at how few emails I got, <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, where, where are my emails? You know, it, for me, it was a lot, the beginning's all about listening, mm. listening, listening, observing, you know, listening, trying to get your, your bearings, um, and really did not implement anything. I would say for a couple of months at least. Mm. Um, and even my opinion, I would say in, in some meeting situations because I just needed to understand the business, you know, at a deeper level. And I, I just, I listened, I sat in on meetings, I met with vendors, um, suppliers, partners, and, and just learned as much as I could before I really started to formulate, um, what ended up being. So I started April 1st and I did not have my, I kind of presented my kind of plan for the next few years. I believe it was in September. And that's a long time. You know, it's, it's a long time to, to, to build it out, but I wanted to make sure I did it understanding the business. So it takes some, some patience and some restraint. <laughs> sure. You know, because you want to, you see things, you know, instantly you're like, oh, I want to get on that. But it's yep. like, no, you know, you're not going to get in and create chaos. I think that's super important just to mm. fling things around, but to actually be thoughtful about how you approach it. So, um, yeah, a lot of observation and learning. That's super smart. What did, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned you built a plan in September of, uh, I think I got my dates right, 19, that, yep. that was on the, you know, hey, here's the, here's the roadmap for the next, here's the blueprint, here's where we're headed for the next couple of years. And then March, you know, as luck would have it, six months later, March of 2020, uh, it, it hits the proverbial <laughs> fan, right? Like the, the, the yeah. plan got thrown into the shredder. <laughs> so like, how did, um, I, I, obviously we all went through that and, and, um, I'm sure there are lots of, were lots of tricky moments, but I, I'd just be curious, like how, what were some of those leadership conversations at, at, at a company like NFM when we're, you know, collectively not knowing what the hell is going, going on? You know, one of the things we started doing really early, so I think this, I would say late March is our, as an executive team, we started meeting every morning. Mm. And by every morning, I mean seven days a week. We had an 8.30 conference call, Zoom. And we, and for that seven, for that 8.30 meeting, my team was preparing for me I wanted, I talked through anything that I was seeing from a customer perspective, any, you know, feedback that we were getting. Um, so, you know, they're getting up earlier than that seven days a week so that I can be prepared for that eight thirty. And then, you know, all of our leadership was coming together. We talked about product and supply chain and um, 
the stores, you know, we ended up closing our stores for four to six weeks, depending on our location. But that daily conversation really helped us be nimble and stay connected Mm. and stay together. Um, I did a nearly daily email to my entire team where I talked about just pretty transparently what we talked about in that 8.30 meeting. Mm. You know, I, and I didn't always have the answer. But I'd say, you know, here's what we, some decisions that we made. And then here's some things we're still talking about. So that they, because, we, you know, things were changing so quickly with the CDC. And, you know, sometimes it would be hours or 24 hours. And, um, and I'm normally not as transparent on decisions that are in progress. Because I, find, I think that that's confusing to people to say, well, we're thinking about this, but we'll mm. let you know. Mm. But this was just a different time. And I think it, it was important to say we're, we're wrangling with these three issues. No decision yet, but just so you know, we're talking about it. Um, so it was just this very heavy um, touching base and, and communication. And then at some point, our senior team, we went down to five days a week. But we still to this day are meeting every single morning. Wow. Just no longer getting up on Sundays and Saturdays. But um, <laughs> we've kept it because it's just ended up being such a great, and sometimes it's 15 minutes, you know, and sometimes a new issue comes up and it's longer, but that we really just, our ability to be fast as an organization just changed. You know, that made such a big difference to our communication. And it made us, we were a, a big organization. And for us to be able to move as quickly as we did, that was a big part of it. Yeah. It, uh, that's, ex- you kind of led me into the, my wheels are turning here going, yeah, but like fast is, fast is a word you would describe like a tech company that has 40, software developers that like are, are in startup mode and they're, they're grinding, you know, 20 hours a a day fast. You you wouldn't think of at least fast being, um, the, the word that would describe uh, a powerhouse organization like yours. It's really cool that you guys, I mean, that's just fascinating to me. And it, it, you're right. I mean, it absolutely is not, not typically, but you, you change, you know, you have Mm. to adapt. And we, I mean, we launched, virtual shopping, like just, just, just launched it. So we're, they could, we, we would actually have somebody on iPad, like a sales associate that would walk around the store. We just had to figure that out. And the team figured out, well, how do you, okay, let's do it. It's important. How do we have a scheduling tool? We found the scheduling tool. How, and I mean, these things, we had it turned on in days. We launched awesome. same day delivery, which is something that we had done before. I mean, things that maybe normally you would have gone through, big RFP process and the planning and a business and, um, you know, gotten approvals and sign off and, but we just did it. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Let's what do else? it. Yeah. And then, and then we got better. So we, you know, the, the original process that we used for virtual shopping, we've improved it like three times now. Um, I mean, it's sort of the, the very, you know, classic, just get it in, figure out what works. And then, you know, we say, okay, we got to fix this and this, but it, that's, shifting of the mindset. And I mean, this took, you know, the entire company shifting their mindset to be like, no, nope, we're going, this is, we're going to move and we're going to move quickly and adapt to the business and, um, made just amazing strides. That's so, that's seriously so cool. Um, and, and the other thing that strikes me is the fact that, and you, you mentioned this a couple different ways, but the, the fact that the leadership group, uh, really benefited from, the time together, right? Like the, 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 um, how, how, what's the best way to phrase this? The, 
the chaos actually created this really wonderful connection. It sounds like where it did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at one point I calculated how many hours we spent together versus what we would have normally at our once a month, which we actually still kept that meeting. And it's like all of this time that you normally would not have spent with someone. I mean, it was, it was hundreds of hours. It's like, wow. You know, we, we just really moved our relationship forward. Yeah, <laughs> For sure, uh, I, I know our my, my our personal lives were NFM served us or <laughs> well so, so, some form of that where we that there were lots of purchases made by the Rickliffs household in the, <laughs> in the pandemic. Uh, I think that's it's a great thing for this conversation. I'm not positive it's great for my 18 month no no interest financing card. Um, however, I, I, it, it was you know again at the most like macro level this shift towards home, right? This, this, um, trajectory towards looking and seeing at the things you everybody was all of a sudden home all the time. Kids were home, yeah. home offices were neglected or not used or used as laundry rooms for a long time. Um, kitchen tables were, you know, minivans and SUVs at ballparks that no longer existed, right? Like there is this massive reset towards like physical, home and uh, and obviously y'all were in the um in in the in the wake of that you you all were a, a very key um and I, I mean this at the in the most like with the most dignity like you were there of course there's like capitalism and enterprise that that was part of it but you you and and lots of others but your team was a direct service to what we were all collectively going through, right? Like, I'm sure that had to be part of your conversation to some degree. It, we, you are absolutely right. I mean, one of our earliest things we were talking about is what our customers needed because it, and it, it went through the shift. Like and, and it, in the very beginning, they needed, they needed their home office stuff. They needed, and, and they needed chairs. They needed yeah, desks. Yeah. They needed freezers because they were going to the store less often and they needed, they wanted to put, a bunch of stuff in mm. freezers and they needed monitors. And then it kind of shifted and the, the gyms had been closed for a while and they had been home for a few months. And then suddenly they needed home fitness equipment. They yeah. needed weights. They needed treadmills. They needed, um, and then it kind of went through another shift as we hit the fall. And it was clear that there were a lot of students that were still going to be remote. And so people, you know, continued to upgrade and they needed, you know, it's even things like, you know, when you're home longer, um, you know, you're, 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 your mom's there and we need recliners because she's sitting in WAP and it was a lot of what people needed shifted. And we actually ended up doing a virtual focus group um, about July mm. because we, we, we could see what people were shifting to, but I wanted to make sure we understood the insights behind it. And, you know, it was this home was really a place of safety for everyone. And it was a place where they were, they were, spaces needed to be multifunctional. They needed to use every inch they had. If that was the outdoors, that needed to be a place they could sit because they're all, you know, sort of everyone's right there. Um, it, it, It was a place for them also to kind of be creative. You know, people were starting to do little projects that they wanted to do. But yeah, there were a lot of heavy, heavy needs last year that that we talked a lot about what we were could do to support that um, and and help their lives 
be better. Yeah. You know, that, that's yeah. part of our mission. Yeah. Well, well said. I mean, the, the, it was a place of safety, comfort. Um, yeah, you know, all of, all of the above, especially, um, for folks who, yeah, might've had, you know, kiddos doing the, the school thing from, from, uh, from home and whatnot. Yeah. That's wild. I, the, the other half of that, like, equation well you're this you're the statistician so i'm sure that wasn't the right uh, accurate way to say that <laughs> but but the, the uh, another I remember i wasn't that great <laughs> <laughs> okay good i feel i feel better um the uh, another giant piece of that puzzle though was of course the supply chain right like all of your suppliers and vendors i i, I imagine that communication there was an, probably equal or, or even more so um uh effort to have that, you know, understanding like timeline. I mean, for us, like we bought this really cool sectional from y'all and it was like, well, it's going to be whatever it was, six weeks or eight weeks. But, but we were communicated to people, people were caring about your, your team was very, um, caring up front and, and, but didn't hide the fact that like, Hey, stuff's delayed. It's different now. <laughs> like, uh, that, that whole piece of the, the customer focused communication had to be a, a really delicate part of the, the balance too, I'd assume. It- it was because it changed everything because, you know, we would normally have very, if something wasn't in this week, we would know from our suppliers, it's arriving next Wednesday. So if we told you next mm. Wednesday, it's coming next Wednesday and you're going to be able to pick it up on, on Thursday if you want. I mean, we, those dates were very tight. We built really good relationships. We had a very tight um, supply chain process and suddenly the manufacturers, it's all blown up. They can't tell us when it's coming or they give us a date and it's really not based in, in reality. And um, we're trying to adjust to that. We're trying to let our, our customers know, um, make sure we communicate up front. And, and, and it was really, and, and still trying to understand ourselves what was going on with the supply chain. Cause it differs based on if you're in appliances and, and furniture and it differs by vendor. And so a lot of that, that daily time and energy went to, making sure we were, you know, talking to our customers and just also explaining, explaining what's going on and, and you know, why it's happening. And because it, it ended up being, as you know, like later on, it wasn't even just the manufacturers. It ended up being the whole process. It's, mm. it's the transportation to get it over here. It's getting it picked up on the docks and the transportation, you know, to their store. I mean, the whole, it's been a disruption. Like I think no one has ever seen and are making sure we, and then there's still frustration. It's frustrating to us. I mean, we hate it when something, you know, is six months delayed and um, God forbid, it's just, you know, our whole goal is to take care of customers. And then when that happens, it just, just, oh, just eats you alive. Yeah, no question. No question. Um, I, I'm just, and again, I don't know how much you, you can or are willing to share, but just generally speaking, like, was there a, I, I assume the answer is yes, but was there a massive shift to your e-commerce platform, your engine online. Like I imagine the, the web traffic there's, there's not, in my opinion, there's still nothing that will ever replace like physically seeing, touching, experiencing a thing, whatever that is, a t-shirt or a, a sofa. Um, but the, the way buying habits had already been moving that direction clearly. Um, but then, accelerated massively in as everyone was home more and couldn't literally couldn't go anywhere. Um, I imagine the web team at NFM had a, a bunch of, of late nights and early mornings as well. Yeah. 
We did. It was, and it actually started in March, even before mm. the store. I mean, because we closed our stores, um, like it's in April, like I said, from four to, to six weeks. But even in March before that, people were just getting less comfortable being out. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they uh, we saw a pr- very marked shift um, first in traffic, and then it was just they they knew the supply chain was becoming constrained, and so they would make sure that they got what they needed. Um, and so we brought in way more. And of course, while we were closed, everyone was shopping online. Um, so we brought in a lot more, you know, internet customers that hadn't tried this before and people became a lot more comfortable. So we're still, we're still getting more inter- internet traffic than we had, you know, previously. And we had a good business online, but, sure. um, you know, people are definitely more comfortable converting and part, you know, part of the online shopping experience is people like to plan. They want to look at what the pricing is. They don't always convert online. Um, a lot of times they're looking to see what you've got before they come into the store, but, but it certainly increased people's comfort levels. That's wild. Yeah, that's wild. Um, okay. So pandemic, you know, aside and, and, uh, obviously disrupted the, the three-year marketing plan. <laughs> how do you, um, how do you like in your seat, like what are the things you're seeing in terms of where you're headed, you know, from a, uh, marketing strategy standpoint. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like, uh, genuinely curious, like picking your brain around, like, where do you think trends are headed? Where do you think marketing, um, stories are being told? Where do you, where, you know, in a, in a seat like yours, what do you, what, what do you think about on a daily basis? You know, it's a really, I always say this and, and, you know, and, I helps them in the position, but I think the female role is a particularly complex role mm. because you're covering everything from, you know, creative and font and color and, you know, to brand positioning to highly technical, you know, direct um, digital advertising. You know, there's such a spectrum to the role and the kind of understanding how that whole ecosystem yep. comes yep. together. Um, it's really, you know, for me, it's staying on top of making sure that we're telling our story in a very multi-layered way and that we're not just, you know, one note across everything, but that we are telling our story in, in places that will reach our different customer segments and the story that is meaningful to them in that moment. Um, so whether it's, mm. we have a podcast as well, whether it's telling kind of the story in a podcast or whether it is our you know, digital advertising that's focused on a very specific customer target or our Spanish, you know, radio ads that we're running, it's layering in and getting the message right across all of those different methodologies. And of course, you know, marketing moves forward very quickly. So there's constantly new ways of telling that story, new content opportunities, uh, new ways of making, making her understand the shopping experience and understand the brand. Yeah. It's well said. That's so good. Um, I love that. And it's, it's just further evidence that, you know, kind of tracing back to some of your earliest work, you talked about understanding the language of the customer, like really, really. and, And that applies if you're, selling pizzas in the neighborhood or if that, that applies to a company like NFM who is, is literally owned by the 
you know, most successful investor in the world and has this like incredible, um, robust engine and team and, and focus on service, which, which obviously has made you, you all stand apart. And, but even at that level, it, it still comes back to, Hey, wherever this person is and wherever they engage us, we, we need to connect to them. We need to understand them. We need to, um, present, yeah, be present, relevant where yeah. they are. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cause otherwise, and, and I say this a lot, like they're not mean, but they, otherwise they don't care. <laughs> like yeah. they just, they don't care. They don't have time to like try to decode your jargon. They, they just simply don't care. They'll, they'll roll right Ooh, past I you. I like that. Decode your jargon. That's, I, I like that. I must feel that. That's a good one. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. Like they shouldn't have to. It should just, if you're speaking to them in the right place with the right message, it, it should resonate. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And so it's a personalized experience. You know, it's, it's in this massive ecosystem where I can reach you. How do you make it as personalized as possible? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well said. Um, cool. I, I, I want to kind of, you know, begin to finish up, although I have like a thousand questions still in my mind. Um, what, what is, you know, your beyond, um, are, you know, kind of architecting the, the NFM story? Um, what else, like what else is interesting in your world? What, what other, you know, themes or, um, you know, kind of other projects are, are you involved in that you get excited about? Within, Within kind of the home. Yeah. No, I mean like, yeah, even yeah, beyond work, um, it, it, are there civic, personal, other things that, you know, kind of broader than NFM that, that you're interested in that are worth talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean that the most. Are you going to tell me if I start and then it's not worth yeah, talking Yeah, never mind. Rewind. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, now, you know, it, it's, it, it, even through NFM, we, you know, we have a, a pretty big um, CSR initiative, you know, corporate mm. responsibility, um, which is really great because it allows us to connect to each local community and, you know, have volunteer opportunities and community events. And um, it, it, it becomes a big part of your overall life, even outside of work. And I really enjoy that. That's awesome. Forgive my terribly worded question. <laughs> anything worth talking about? Is it? Yeah. Anything else cool about you? Like, is that it? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, anything worth the end? Yeah. The the, uh, the the long time Guild Stories listeners will know that that's not my worst question ever. So that's uh, par for the course. Par for the course. Um, this is wonderful, Amy. Uh, as we do every episode, I, I prepped you a little bit with these five. So um, we we end each show with the same five questions. So I can't wait to uh, to hear how you answer them. It's it's for me the most uh, fun part of each each conversation. So number one, um, last book that you read or listened to. So I just finished um, Malcolm Gladwell's new book, The Bomber Mafia. Huh. Have you heard of it? I, I ha I, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I love Malcolm Gladwell, though. I do too. So it just uh, so I kind of have a trigger, like whenever he you know publishes something, and it's totally different because it's not the normal. Mm. You know, he does so many like great you know marketing type um, books and stories, but this is but it, it's his same writing, and it's, it's it's about World War II and this this kind of moment um, that it was a decision between you know two different approaches to the war, which it, it, 
I'm not doing it justice and I'm making it sound very good. But anyway, it's a really good book. Mm. I would recommend Any, it. Anything <laughs> that dude writes is a really good book. Anything. Like, it is. And when it first downloaded, I was like, oh, gosh, what is this one? Cause you, you, but then it, it delivers. It's That's good. awesome. That's awesome. I heard a, um, he, uh, and I, I, I won't get the details exactly right. I think he's like a 58 year old dude. And he was challenged by like some Instagram influencer guy who's like 33 or something. And they, he challenged him to a, a one mile race in some New York city, uh, event of some sort. And I guess Gladwell like whipped the dude, <laughs> he like beat him by like 20 <laughs> seconds or something. And, and, uh, it's just amazing. It's like 58 years old and he ran like a five 15 or five twenty three or something. I'm like, good night. Just a, yeah. What, what a cool, what a cool guy. Um, sorry, random note. So number two, all right, here we go. Number two, when, um, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? But you know, I, my, I was a soccer player and even into an, into an adult, I played soccer and I injured myself about five years ago badly. Mm. And I have not played since. And I, I was a coach and a, a, a player and, um, would love to get back out there, but you know, once you have a bad injury, you just totally. nervous about it. Totally. I've never like mentally quite gotten over it. So um, I know that's just like incredibly pragmatic. But that's awesome. It's true. I'd love to play. That's so great. I love that. I love that answer. Um, number three on a low key weekend or a vacation or something like what's your go-to t-shirt? So, I think I'd have to say, so I'm a track coach. And so we've got our little coach track t-shirts and that's, that's my, you know, I, I, I love doing it. And so I love throwing that shirt on and, um, representing the team and, and being a coach out there. So that's awesome. in the world of t-shirts, that would be it. I love it. I love it. Uh, cool. Number four, favorite place on earth is, you know, any, I've got two boys to so kind of any place my boys and my husband are is, is going to be my favorite at the moment. So they, whether they're, they're off somewhere or we're on vacation or home with them. I love it. I love it. Um, cool. And then last one, when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? That is such a heavy one. That is I, like know, a, I know. It's like Good a, price, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bet. Hey, in fairness, it's a better question than one I asked a little bit ago. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to be someone like when I'm even uh, not gone formally, but just not in the room, you want to be someone that, you know, brought joy and, um, people want to have around. That's me. If you were able to kind of bring that positivity, it's a, um, that's what I hope to leave behind. Uh, that's a tremendous, tremendous answer. I love that. I might steal part of that too. Um, I know you have to run you, you, your, your day is jammed. You are navigating the complexities of the CMO role very well. So thank you for, uh, carving out time, Amy, any last words or yeah, can, where can people follow along? Obviously nfm.com, uh, corporately, can they grab you on LinkedIn or what, where, where can they follow you? Um, yeah, yeah, LinkedIn, but I don't even know what Love it. Love it. Uh, thank you for carving out time. This has been a super insightful conversation and um, folks are going to be, be uh, better for listening to it for sure. Thank you.
Awesome, Amy. Take care. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.